Hey there, product lovers. Welcome to the Product Love Podcast, hosted by Eric Bodick, co-founder and chief evangelist of Pendo and super fan of all things product. Product Love is the place for real insights into the world of crafting products as Eric interviews founders, product leaders, venture capitalists, authors, and more. So let's dive in now with today's Product Love podcast. Well, welcome over to Product. I am here with part two with, with Bella from Trey. And we're going to kick this off by talking a little bit about product vision. So Bella, Talk to me about creating a product vision, how you create one, the process. Uh, Take us through it all. Yeah, I mean, it's something that's both kind of, I think, really, really exciting and one of the most sort of energizing parts of being in product, but it's also one of the sort of most daunting pieces, right? You know, people, you know, what's your purpose? Why are you building what you're building? And who are you building it for? And, you know, what problem big real world problem are you trying to solve? And that can be a bit overwhelming, I think, for people. I think the most important thing that I kind of try to keep in mind, I'll kind of go high level and then I'll go into the practicalities of maybe how some listers might, you know, employ some of these strategies. But high level, you know, I try to really think first and foremost, what change do you want to see in the world, which does sound a little bit uh, high and mighty, but you know, you've got to go hard or go home. You know, what change do you want to see in the world as a result of people using your product, right? Like, what are you trying to change in their lives or in the world if you want to make anything better? And I think that I read an article actually recently around Tesla and, you know, the sort of product vision that they have, which is all obviously about, you know, creating sustainable transport and a sustainable future. And actually, the products that they build are driven by that. And so they have that big, real-world, high-level, quite high and mighty, and what some would kind of call lofty goal, but then they kind of backpedal. So for me, I think that that's the first thing. You know, what is the biggest change that you're trying to see? Are you trying to solve, you know, access to technology? Are you trying to solve access to potentially uh, housing or access to healthcare, you know, these big things. And then trying to say, you know, how can we do that? And what's our medium and long-term vision? And what's our short-term vision as well? So I kind of start high level. What is the problem that you're kind of trying to solve in the world and who are you trying to solve it for? And then that leads often, I think, to a quite a long-term vision, because if you're going to think big, it's going to take a long time for you to actually potentially achieve that vision. And, and so we, then I think... You talked about yeah. backpedal. You were talking about starting at that high level, then kind of getting back to it by building, you know, down to the tactics, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So if we kind of start with the vision at the top, what is that big problem that you're going to to shift or to change? Or what difference would you like to see in the world if people use your product? And what is it going to do for the world? And then I think it's around, okay, what is the strategy, right? Like, who are you going to do it for? And where are you going to do it? And how is it actually going to work? And then, you know, thinking around, you know, the market and making sure that you're trying to kind of look at product market fit with your kind of strategic view and then getting down to, okay, so what are our tactics in the short term, in the medium term? And how will that then allow us to build towards the vision that we're trying to deliver. So 
in my case, just because it's a little easier to then get a bit practical, the trade product vision is all around democratizing access to technology and putting technology in the hands of people who might not necessarily be engineers so that they can build things for themselves without necessarily going to IT or or engineering. And we're part very much of the sort of low code movement. But then it's like, okay, well, you know, if we're going to do that, who are we going to do it for? And we've started with people with a bit of a technical background, and then we're trying to broaden out so that we can go sort of high first and then erode that technical barrier sort of strategy sort of piece by piece. And then it's about, okay, so in the near term, we're all about enabling individual users to access technology and to build out automation and integrations for themselves. But then in the medium term, we're thinking, okay, how could people do that for their teams? How could they do that for each other? How could they share and collaborate? And then the longer term piece is around kind of like the community or the global part of access to this kind of technology. So we're getting to that vision, but we're trying to break it down into near term, medium term, kind of long term strategy. And how, how often do you re-examine those different pieces? I imagine that the grandiose kind of the highest level vision isn't re-examined that often, but I, I imagine the other areas are kind of maybe in decreasing frequency. Yeah, you're totally right. So I we haven't really changed the long-term kind of grandiose vision in about two years, and I don't see it changing in the next two either. But about every year, we make sure that we have the finger on the pulse of, okay, so what does next year look like? Or what does the first six months of next year look like in terms of what we're going to build, who we're building it for, and what that will allow us to do for our users, for our customers, and also in the market, will enable us to access uh, spaces that will drive towards our vision. And then it's also, I think, just having a finger on the pulse of that all the time. I think things change. And, you know, with COVID, we looked at our strategy, we stress tested it, and we made some adjustments and changes. We prioritized self-sufficiency more than we had in the past so that people could kind of self-serve and pivot easily and teach themselves and make sure that they had access to resources to do so, not necessarily relying maybe on customer success or other sort of sections of our business that previously would have helped our users upskill in the product. But what we do is basically have a bi-weekly meeting where it's called product strategy. It's a ring-fenced hour that me and the CTO make sure that we kind of keep to, where we kind of discuss with the sort of finger on the on the pulse exactly what's going right, exactly where we're maybe not seeing the results that maybe we would have wanted to or expected to, and making sure that we've always got at least sort of three months, if not hopefully six months in the sort of near sight. And then with the back of our minds on that kind of high level problem solving that we want to do. Now, how is this shared with the company? Yeah, it's a good question. So we have sort of all hands meetings every two weeks. And sometimes if there's any sort of something that we're interested in, or if it's just a, if we feel like people are perhaps losing sight of what we're doing and aren't so clear, we'll always bring it into there. And we have a kind of slide that we show and we have some quite nice graphics and illustrations that kind of talk to what we're trying to do from a product vision standpoint. But then what we make 
kind of ring fence time to do is every quarter we have a product and engineering kickoff where we talk to the whole R&D team around what we're doing, why we're doing it and where we're going. And the sales and go-to-market team also have the same kind of structure. And there's always a presentation for at least an hour, an hour and a half for CTO and I to get in front of folks on the GTM side and talk around the product vision, our strategy, what we're seeing, where we're seeing success, where we're seeing challenges. And normally that's in person. So we've been over to San Francisco a bunch to make sure, because that's where the majority of our uh, go-to-market folks are, to make sure that we can get in front of people. Uh, and also give them the opportunity to ask questions and also to stress test it, right? You know, they're at the forefront, they're in the trenches with prospects, with our customers all the time. And I think that's really important that they can really buy into that. Uh, and then product marketing, fantastic in helping us kind of really communicate that very clearly. And so it's all about getting product marketing involved there. But I think that just repeating the product vision and the product strategy and the near-term roadmap, and also the longer-term kind of exciting areas that we want to go into is really important for the whole company because I think that it really contributes to this feeling that the whole company is on that journey to solving that problem that you believe is important and that everyone can then get our customers and prospects excited about that product vision too, right? Like they're buying our product, they're buying our platform. And I think that a part of that is very much buying into our vision and what they're going to get in the future with the platform kind of evolving towards it. So everyone in the company having a kind of deep understanding of that vision is really important to me. What about customers? How how do you share the product vision with customers and and at what level? Like, are, are you pitching kind of the grand vision at the customer level or are you pitching more of like, here's what we're doing today, here's where we're going? I mean, we do a bit of all of that, really. It kind of depends on the customer and it depends on the call. So with some pretty big customers, we've got on and pitched the the whole vision, right? And the story of the company and why it was founded on that vision and the problems that our founders encountered when they were trying to build our product, because that feeds into kind of what the whole company is about. And if, if we've got some big enterprise customers who are kind of strategically building their own strategy around using our platform, I think it's really important to kind of come from that in a place of, or come from that uh, with a view to a partnership. And so that's when we'll kind of get into the grandiose kind of big real world vision that we have. But then often with customers, we will share on a sort of, I guess, more day-to-day basis the product managers will get on calls with customers and they'll share the sort of near-term strategy in terms of what we're building, who it's for, what we're trying to drive towards in terms of KPIs and what problems we're trying to alleviate, maybe that the data has shown or that qualitative feedback has shown. And then there'll be a sort of roadmap presentation, a short roadmap presentation. And that's done relatively frequently with customers. And then what we also have started introducing, which is really exciting and, and why I kind of lean very much on product marketing and how great they can be in this sort of relationship with customers is um, we do a customer webinar. And I know that Pendo used to do something very similar quarterly, where we have all of the PMs present what they're doing. And I start off by kind of kicking that off with um, an overview of the vision and the strategy, and then hand it over to them and they present their roadmaps and customers can participate in the Q&A. We have a live Q&A and that's great. So that's kind of every quarter getting customers involved there too. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. 
You know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about design, and I'd like to get back to that. So yeah. you're very close to your product design team. Talk to me about the relationship between product management and design, and talk to me about how you strengthen that relationship. Uh, I think it's a really sacred one, to be honest, especially when you're trying to move fast as a product person, having, you know, a sort of what feels like a sort of three-legged race with your product designer, I think can then enable you to move very quickly. So, I mean, how our relationship has, how we kind of structure the, the team and how we build on that relationship is very much having an area of the product that is owned by a particular product manager and then an area of design that works in tandem with that product manager and we emphasize very much that the product designers are the gatekeepers of everything visual in the product, the user experience, the UI, making sure that obviously the product aligns with the brand and our brand guidelines. And we've essentially championed the view that it doesn't go if the product design team do not approve. So that's kind of small things as well. And with that sort of championing of product design, it then means that product managers have to work very closely with product designers. So they'll have weekly meetings where product designers exactly, you know, these are the products that we're talking through feedback from customers, talking through the data and what that's showing. And then product design are very much in, involved in the sort of brainstorm process, right? They, they're there at the kickoffs and they also drive ideas and idea generation through their creativity. And then how that relationship really strong is we endeavor to work very much as a team. So product management and product design kick off every week together, talking around what their current pains are, what their current progress has been, and what their current uh, sort of plans are. And so we can kind of keep in lockstep with one another. But I do think that it is all about relationship building. You know, if you don't make time to have really strong relationships between product management and product design, and people kind of exist in silos and they don't feel that they can kind of quickly ping somebody or quickly get on a call or brainstorm or, you know, have empathy with each other's different disciplines, then I think that's where challenges can kind of arise. But the reason that I think product design is so important is because that empathy with the user is something that is inherent to the way that product design functions. And it's the same with product management, you know, the empathy with users and the problems that they're facing and the struggles that they're having is how you then prioritize your roadmap or your kind of challenges to solve. And there's a lot of overlap. And so I think that working very closely together only allows the disciplines to kind of bounce off each other now, if you come back to me in you know, a few years' time and we've got a really big product management team and a really big design team, and it's hard to have that kind of closely coupled relationship, you know, I might say something different. But I think whilst you can work in lockstep together as a product management and product design team, I think it's really important to try to. Now, talk to me a little bit about how it's structured at, sure. at Trick, you know, between product management, design, and engineering. Like, how, how is it organizationally structured? Yeah, so we very much subscribe to the squad model, as I know lots of companies do. So we believe in the kind of sanctity of relationship between product manager, engineering manager, and product designer. And so every team will have a product manager and an engineering manager, 
and then a cross-functional team that has a particular area of ownership of the product in terms of user flows, in terms of components, and in terms of sort of back-end services, if that's relevant. And we endeavor, I will say endeavor, because we have not necessarily got here yet, that you know each team can own their area of the product, can have their own deployment cadence, and kind of be able to move pretty quickly. And so that's kind of the structure of R&D. And then within product design, what we've endeavored to make sure we sort of plan for is that product design doesn't sort of design in a silo, but actually they own the whole user flow because, you know, sometimes it doesn't necessarily make sense for the product designers to own exactly the same thing as product management because, you know, the user flows will span multiple areas of the product. So that's previously where there were kind of some challenges to make sure that the product design team kind of owned the whole journey. But what we've kind of landed on is essentially the onboarding process being owned by one designer and one product manager. And then that also covers kind of education resources to make sure that our product portfolio feels like a complete experience. And then there's a product designer who owns kind of the organizational settings, people, governance, and management of our application, because that's a particular persona for us. And then other product designers who own different kind of distinct parts that can kind of be containerized. And that's kind of how we've done it. It's, I think, totally dependent, I'm sure, for listeners on how your product operates and the kind of users that you have in different areas. You know, some areas of your application are touched absolutely all the time by users whenever they log in and other areas are only touched when hopefully not something has maybe gone wrong or there's a challenge that they need to solve or when, you know, they need to onboard new users or kind of utilize sort of our back structures or things like that. So that's what we've found works best for us. But I do think it is very much a constantly evolving process and you know what works for sort of a team of a certain size then six months later doesn't work anymore so you need to kind of constantly evaluate it I think. Now how where does design report? So the lead product designer reports into me and I report into the CTO. Okay so design runs up through the product management organization as opposed to a separate structure. Yeah. You like that. Yeah, it's worked really well for us so far. I mean, we very much have a emphasis on design. We really believe that that's one of our differentiators in the market and kind of working in tandem in lockstep has been great for us. Also, myself and the lead product designer started off at Trey together. So we have a really strong relationship and sort of sometimes it's a slightly telepathic one, which is very useful. But yeah, that's kind of how we've been able to, to sort of continue that going forward. And I don't see it changing anytime soon. No, I, I like the close coupling of, of design and product. I, I think it it helps especially, well, I, I think it just helps in general. I mean, when you think about how you're working on problems, uh, working on them together as opposed to building something and throwing it over the wall to design is always good, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, especially for us, the context that is required for designers to really to have all of that context is really important. And so the idea that product management would kind of go into a little huddle with maybe engineering to sort of scope out 
you know, the sizing of, of projects or, you know, investigating the complexity or the implementation strategy and then then just kind of evolving design as a sort of afterthought, I think is just, it, it then just gets so slow and so inefficient, right? Because you're then just explaining yourself again, this is the problem, this is all the research that we've done. And then design needs to go away and do all of their own research, really, to understand the problem, right? Like they're going to go and do their own user research as opposed to just kind of being in calls with product and understanding, potentially asking different questions, but understanding where product is coming from, from, from the very beginning, I think is, it just, just allows you to work a lot more dynamically as a team. And then also when, you know, when challenges arise and actually, you know, the dev team are saying, hey, it's going to be really difficult to implement that this way. If you then have to go all the way back to product design and say, hey, you know, front end say that this is tough. Can we change this and this and this? And can we not have this nested in a modal because that makes it long? You know, that discussion should happen naturally between the dev team with the design team and with the product team. It shouldn't be a sort of, you know, a sort of assembly line where you have to go back to the start and or jump around. And I think that working in that kind of cross-functional way as a team really enables that. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree. So let's talk about user delight. Talk to me about the importance of building delight into products and, and some examples of user delight. Yeah, so, I mean, user delight for me is incredibly important because, you know, you use products every day that you tolerate, right? Like, love Jira, but, you know, I don't feel a huge amount of delight sometimes. And, you know, there's a lot of tools out there that, that are quite painful to use you use them because they solve a particular problem, but you really don't love them. And I think tools that you love are ones that give you that user delight. They're the ones that you feel like they have your back. You feel an emotional connection to the product. You know, you rely on it. It solves problems for you. It makes your life easier you know, you feel a sense of personality coming out of it. You know, you, you can't sort of love anything that you don't know. And if you don't feel like you know the product because it's just a sort of faceless tool without a personality, I think that that's when, you know, to bring it back to kind of a revenue standpoint, that's when customers will, you know, be happy to rip you out because they don't feel that sense of connection to your product. So for me, that's where user delight comes in, right? Like it enables users to feel a strong sense of connection and it feels it makes users feel like your product has a personality and also your brand by extension has a personality it stands for something you know if a product can make you laugh that's always great I mean some small examples of user delight that I've seen in my time that you know not necessarily just in at Trey in my kind of current role but previously you know we did some nice little slightly Easter eggy things around kind of Christmas or different holidays, you know, to, that, that users could find that would wish them happy holidays or wish them happy Easter or, you know, when the weather was unseasonably warm or cold, there would be some sort of small messages around kind of in the welcome message. It would be like, oh, you know, grab your, grab your woolies or whatever. And then there have been some kind of other areas that we've done in our education resources to really emphasize that user delight and to make it a bit more personal to users. So, you know, that's pulling in, you know, congratulations messages to them when they complete certain kind of education courses and things like that. 
and then just kind of creating opportunities for fun in the product, which I think really contributes to user delight. So in one of our education platforms, we have a Pac-Man style game that is Trayman, and users find it if they complete a course, which is always fun. And it's something that we can sort of shout about to encourage people to complete those courses. And lots of this comes from product design, you know, user experience. It's key to them and it's key to users loving our product. So I think opportunities where you can just insert a little bit of fun, obviously it depends on your brand, but I do think that, you know, users are people too, and they've got hard days and, you know, when they can have a sort of smile because you've sent a message to them and they're spending all day in your tool, maybe doing some gnarly problem solving, it's nice to be a little lighthearted. I also think that there's opportunities for, for folks in sort of bigger companies as well. You know, I've seen tools that I really love, you know, some, some big e-commerce platforms that have sent me sort of messages around shipping and emails with confirmation of your order and stuff like that. And it's exciting. And sometimes they have emojis in and I'm like, oh, that's new from insert name of big e-commerce platform. Like you must have invested in some product designers recently. Okay, nice. <laughs> yeah, that is nice. Do you look at any metrics around that, around Delight? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard, isn't it? Like, to be honest with you, no. Totally honest, no, we don't have anything. What we do have, though, is qualitative feedback, right? You know, like talking to our users. And I think, you know, we've got some really strong relationships now with some of our users who, you know, attend our webinars, who we've seen in person, we've gone to visit, we've asked them about, you know, how they're finding the product. And they'll give sort of little nuggets of information and they'll give feedback like, oh, I saw you did that thing. That was great to see. And just that sort of positive affirmation that they're starting to love the product because they feel a sense of personality from it, for me, is very much validation that it's an important piece of the puzzle to continue investing in. And, you know, I don't think that it's about course correcting if you haven't got anything similar in your platform to suddenly say, okay, we need to, you know, throw some of some user delight here or here. Or, you know, I remember Asana did a great thing. Um, they, every time you created a new project, there was a sort of unicorn that would sort of run across your screen. And I thought that was kind of great. It's small, but then you've, you know, you don't want to over subscribe to sort of throwing things in front of users all for the sake of user delight. But it's just when there is an opportunity and if users are receptive to it and sounding positive when they're talking to you about their experience on your platform, I think that's validation that it's a good thing to invest in. Yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely agree with that. So talk to me about the future. What trends do you see in product management? I mean, one trend that I do really see, mainly because of the, the pain that I'm currently feeling around this, is product ops. And I do think that that is going to become, if not already, become a bigger trend in product management and a bigger role. You know, design has had design for a while now. If you think about, you know, the number of files that the product design team has and all of the kind of different screenshots and prototypes and wireframes that are important to, to be organized and accessible, right, to engineers, to product people. And I think that in terms of product management, product ops is something that I find painful on sort of a daily basis. 
you know, we've got a lot of data. We, we need to have a hygienic data pipeline, getting the data into the tools that the data visualization tools that we use in product. You know, we use internal wikis and making sure that access to information and, you know, we've got multiple teams now that need to be clear and clear cut. And we've got a lot of user feedback coming in and prioritizing that effectively and, you know, closing that feedback loop. You know, a lot of that is tooling. Um, we use our own platform a lot for a lot of these things to kind of automate lots of this. But, you know, we can always do better. And there isn't really any sort of, we do it as a team to try and erode some of this pain. But it is something that I think in the future, we're going to need to to have some sort of product ops function. And I think that, you know, talking to colleagues in other companies, I think that other people are, are very much the same. And then talking to people who already have a product ops function, sometimes just one person, sometimes maybe someone who is maybe trying to get into product or has been in product or is looking to try and feel it out, but maybe is a technical person or has got a kind of ops mentality. The difference that that team can make to the, the product management function is pretty big. So I think that that's, that's one particular trend that I think is just going to sort of steamroll into the future. I don't know what, what you guys... I think the product ops thing is, is definitely a, a big trend. Um, what would you have them own? Like, how would you structure product ops? What would you have them take off the plate of the, you know, the existing team? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. It's something that I've started to think about, but I haven't seen a huge amount. I haven't thought about it in a huge amount of detail. So, you know, I'll just kind of talk off the top of my head. You know, read some good kind of articles and, and there are some things coming out in terms of content that I'm consuming that are helping me think about this. But I think access to data is a big one. So at the moment, I work closely with our data team to potentially get dashboards built, but then also in kind of the internal uh, data visualization tools that we use, trying to make sure that the data that's coming in to those tools is hygienic. So we use Segment and making sure that we're instrumented as a platform using Segment is important to us. And I think that that would be an area that they would take ownership of and all of the process right around that. So, you know, when we're shipping something, definition of done needs to include instrumentation and having a sort of naming structure around events, you know, even as basic as sort of camel case and, you know, the structure of the, or the use of the different properties on the events is important. And I think another thing that they would own would be sort of qualitative feedback database and sort of the, and that solidifying and tightening that feedback loop, not only within sort of the company internally, but also with our customers, right? And I think that there would then be maybe a bit of a crossover with a user research function as well. But, you know, making sure that research that is done maybe by user researchers is then actionable, is stored, is accessible, is categorized, is getting fed into the product management sort of prioritization process is something else that they don't. But yeah, we've got a kind of big stack and working across it is, is important. And, you know, we do use Trey a lot for it, but, but there's no owner. So that, that would be kind of what I'd see predominantly is the data side and the, and the feedback side. Yeah, no, I would agree. We, we write a lot about product ops at Pendone. We have a product ops team here. 
So it's interesting just having someone manage that stack. Uh, you know, the product has a stack just like every other part of the organization has a has a tech stack these days. And then the dissemination of information is just really important. Like, how do you communicate both internally and externally between the product groups, other departments, customers, prospects, uh, et cetera? So there's those aspects that I think are important to encapsulate in the, in the product ops group. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, it always, you know, and not to ever do these functions down, but it feels like people think they can cope without them and they don't prioritize it. And I'm terrified I'm fitting into this bucket right now of kind of saying, oh, we can last a little bit longer. We can do it ourselves. And then it becomes painful. And, you know, just the, as you say, the access to information and communicating across loads of different groups, you know, making sure that that the sales team have access to all the information that they need to communicate with prospects and to set expectations and also confidence with, with prospects. Yes, it's coming. This is when. And having that kind of within fingertip grasp is something that I yeah. think is very yeah. much a product ops function. Yeah. And I think and it's help, really help important. people find the insights from that information too, because it's one thing having the, the data, but it's another thing calling it for those, those nuggets of gold sometimes too. Um, yeah, Totally. Well, as we're kind of wrapping up part two, let's turn to uh, Bella a little bit. What's your favorite product? Yeah, this is a a great question. I mean, I am a little bit biased, obviously, towards Trey, (laughs) which is a very exciting platform. So Trey aside, I do really love Notion. I don't know if you've heard a lot about Notion, but it's a really amazing product that I do really love. It kind of encapsulates that piece that we were talking about earlier in terms of user delight it feels like they have a personality through the product, not just their brand, but through the product, you know, just the way that they talk to users and kind of help you out. And also the power and flexibility of the product is something that I really value and enjoy. I mean, there's lots of kind of really great products out there. Another one that that I do really love. That Before you get into your other one, just, oh, just sure. tell, tell the listeners out there, because I know Notion, but not, I don't know that everyone knows Notion. So tell everyone what Notion is. Yeah, absolutely. So Notion is a internal wiki tool. I'm sure that I'm getting that. They'd probably, their marketing team would probably like me to say it in a different way. But to me, it's an internal sort of wiki tool. It is a way to have databases that you can organize, keep information, cross-reference and link to. And it's pretty powerful when it comes to the database function that they have. So being able to kind of categorize information, disseminate information, and to have kind of a team wiki, a company wiki, and also a personal one as well. So keeping track of notes, drafts, we do everything in Notion in the product and product design team and the kind of the whole of the R&D team. So everything from meeting agendas that are recurring, have a meeting notes database to, you know, our our internal roadmap uh, is all built in Notion and people can kind of sort and filter the views of the roadmap so that they could see potentially what is being done by this particular squad in this particular time frame to contribute eroding this particular problem. And that's kind of within two or three clicks. And so it's a pretty powerful tool for communication, I think. And it's very flexible, which is why I love it. Awesome. Awesome. And now you're, sorry, yeah. you're going on to a second one before I, I, I took us down that. Oh, no, absolutely. No, the second one that I was just going to mention is, is something that I think lots of folks will, will maybe know, but is Strava, which is the, the sort of running exercise tracking app. And I think that 
why I think that it's a really amazing product is because of the product strategy that they've employed, which is all about community. And I think that that was really smart in terms of taking something that people maybe just want to keep on a personal level and broadening that out and then building community into their product vision, their product strategy, so that you know, there's various kind of functionality and features in the product that facilitate that, you know, having sort of leaderboards and you can see, oh, the local run that I do is also done by all of these other people in my area. And this is how I rank against them. And, you know, I think that it feels like that was just so simple, but there was definitely an amazing strategy, I think, deployed there. And then also I'm a big fan of their, they release every year a sort of Strava maps, which actually have got them in a little bit of trouble (laughs) a few times where they showed maybe people running in areas of the globe that maybe other people didn't want them to know that they were running in. So there was some various kind of bits and pieces around. I remember different sort of army bases and things like that. And Strava got in quite a lot of trouble for for showing data of people running in, in certain areas. But the annual release of kind of the Strava map and all of the different runs that people have done and the areas around the globe that people have done runs in or, you know, uh, cycles and things like that, I think is pretty amazing. And the other kind of final thing about Strava is that to that community point, you kind of get to interact with your heroes, right? Like if you love cycling and I'm a bit of a cycling nerd, you know, I go cycling in um, one of the Spanish islands called Mallorca. And it's where lots of the Tour de France cyclists train. And so you can be on the same roads as these kind of amazing sort of athletes and see their performance on the road that you just did and how kind of pitiful you compare. But, you know, it, that product facilitates it. And it's, I think that that's pretty amazing from, from them. Yeah, that is pretty awesome. I, I know I've totally got into my Peloton from a, a biking perspective. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'd love to have one of those. Well, one, one final question for you today, Bella. Three words to describe sure. yourself. Oh, terrifying. I would say energetic, passionate, and organized. God, that's so boring of me. Yeah, I am pretty structured as a person. Let's change organized for structured. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, your, your, your first two weren't at all boring, so come on. It's, it's all fine. Yeah, 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 that's probably me. Well, thank you. This has been awesome. It's been great. Appreciate it. No, thanks so much for having me again. I've loved it. Yeah, it's, it's been great to kind of chat and take time out to think about this stuff because you know when you're going 200 miles an hour every day you don't really get the chance to sort of noodle on some of these points so it's been a treat for me awesome well thanks thanks